so Trent, what have you been eating recently? Um, I had a Taco Bell problem a few months ago, but then I like overdid it. And so I've been avoiding it for a few months. And today I relapsed, but in a, in a light way, um, it was delicious and I haven't had it in a calendar month. So it was a, it was a nice reintroduction to something I know and love. The black bean Crunchwrap Supreme. It's the move. Uh, Parth, haven't you never been to Taco Bell? I think I've been there before, but I don't like really, re- like very early on in my career as Parth Marate. Ah. When did your career as Parth Marate start compared to your birth? Because that's how most people measure hey, the would, passage I, of time. I, I would say it started at birth. Uh huh. Um. Some people say conception. Controversial. Um, but I, I wouldn't really know, you know. What have you eaten recently? It's There's been a snowstorm, in case you haven't heard. So I've heard. And the East Coast. Um, and so everybody in the house is tired from shoveling. Oh, did you shovel the driveway? And, oh, I, I sure As a did. unit, was it backbreaking work? It was, um, call me batman in the middle of the dark knight rises because uh because my back's broken and the, the snow is bane in this scenario um yeah yeah sure. i've never been to your house do you have a big driveway a lot of property what's going on not much not a huge driveway like a, i would say like an average driveway but anyways because of all of these this shoveling um we were all tired and we were like we don't want to cook anything mm. i mean it's usually my mom that cooks stuff but um Nobody wanted to make food, so we just heated up some food. And I had some chicken taquitos, chicken, chicken. Um, I believe is how you say them. It's nice that your family rallied together during these inclement weather conditions, and then you were able to celebrate and relish in some, uh, excuse my French, chicken taquitos. It is it is a heartwarming American yeah, story. Yeah, it's a family domestic drama, you know? On to the show! Welcome back to Craft Services, Our show. Where, we talk, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience. Last week we had Adrian Alanis, a digital compositor. He was fantastico. See. Uh, he was great. You should listen to that interview. Um, and we now love we're talking here. with him. What a, what a swell man. It's nice. Uh, I could go on. But no, I'm going to cut no, you the, off right there, Trent. The interview um, speaks for itself. I'm going to say that we should just continue on to our discussion now. Let's look forward. That episode's the past. Exactly. What's done is done. So, Trent, we are talking about David Fincher's Mank, yes? Yes. His 11th film, most recent uh, Netflix-exclusive release. Wow. Um, do you want to hear some basic information about it? Well, can you? I, here's the thing I've been like dying to know about this film. I, when I watch movies, I'm like, this costs money to make, yes? Definitely. It's not free. Exactly. And I'm like, how much? So, so I, I'd, I'd like to see if you could answer that for me. How much money did Mank cost to make? 
Trent. So between twenty and thirty million dollars, and the box office taken into consideration the lack of uh, of a extensive theatrical run it only made a hundred thousand dollars but i was uh, a contributing factor i saw mank in theaters did you see it twice or no no i saw it in theaters was confused left angry came home and then was protesting it for like a week and then i uh i gave it another shot yeah um parth do you want to give a synopsis well trent i'm glad you asked I had the IMDb synopsis right in front of me immediately after you asked me that. Yep. And we totally did not edit out a huge pause because we are unprepared. Wasn't on the document, no. No, no, that didn't happen. The log line of the movie. Right, I'll I'll, I'll tell you now. Yeah, yeah. 1930s Hollywood is reevaluated through the eyes of scathing social critic and alcoholic screenwriter... Herman J. Mankiewicz, as he races to finish the screenplay of Citizen Kane, 1941. Citizen Kane's a movie. You watched it in preparation. I did not. I did. Uh, did it pay off? I think so. I'm, I'm glad I watched it. It's not like my favorite movie or anything, but I th- it was. I would recommend anybody watch it. It's not, it's not stuffy. I saw Citizen Kane once, and it was on a date, and... Uh... Needless to say, I was unable to lend my full attention to the very, like, weighty film, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember was, did much something, of it did, was, was something, like, taking your attention away from it, or I don't... There was uh, a brief intermission for some adolescent kissing, must I admit, so, but uh, to, to Citizen Kane, no less. Wow, even, even when you kiss, it's pretentious. I haven't seen it since, and... I think I would enjoy it now, having seen Mank a bunch of times, but I think that's kind of, like, reverse psychology. Trent, I have a question for you. Mm. Do you know, again, this movies, these movies, they're so crazy. They cost money to make. They yeah. make money, hopefully. Sure, sure. And that process, it has a history, a production history. Go. Okay, so on Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score is 83%. And the audience score is 61%. So it's technically certified fresh. So Gary Oldman is 62. And he's playing Mank in his early 30s. Which, looking back, is very funny. And Gary Oldman's take of him is, like, very crotchety. And, like, I know there's a car accident. And that's what causes him to be handicapped. But he's played as, like, an elderly person. Am I wrong? Uh, Yeah. I am wrong? Or you no, agree? no, you're not wrong. You're, in fact, correct. He is um, much older than the real-life counterpart was at the time. But if you actually look at the counterpart of the time, uh, Mank, in real life, looked much older than he was. So, this movie was based on a 120-page draft by Jack Fincher, David Fincher's father. And... Apparently, it was based on an article by Pauline Kale, who wrote for The New Yorker, called Raising Cain, about how Orson Welles didn't give screenwriting credit to Herman Mankiewicz. And apparently, like, the story, like, the sequence of events in reality is, like, in contention, because there's been a lot of debate as to what actually happened, because Peter Bogdanovich came back with the article called The Kane Mutiny in Esquire magazine, 
And people have been fighting about it ever since. More facts. Uh, Mank producer uh, Eric Roth reportedly polished the script prior to filming, and um, I believe he was the only person who has touched it. Even because I think there's a level of um, purity that Lord Fincher is trying to preserve since uh, his dad wrote it. And his he dear died. dead father wrote it. Yeah. So originally, they were gonna. His plan was to shoot this movie while his dad was still alive. Immediately after the game, and the roles were gonna be Kevin Spacey as Mank, uh, Ju- Jodie Foster was also gonna be in it. Um, but apparently, I'm gonna assume as the Amanda Seyfried role. Yeah. Um, apparently, there was some argument about it being in black and white, and that was a prerequisite for Fincher, and so he decided to delay the filming. Uh, so Fincher's normal cinematographer is Jeff Cronenwith, yeah? Yes. And he did Gone Girl, Social Network, Dragon Tattoo, and Fight Club was his first film. But for this movie, there's a different cinematographer. Eric Messerschmidt. Yes, and he was the gaffer on Gone Girl, and then he got he did he did uh, he DP'd for like an episode of Mindhunter I think, and then this was like a big step up to DP. Oh, um, Eric Roth, the producer I mentioned before, who touched up the script. He was the screenwriter of Benjamin Button, Forrest Gump, and Star Is Born. So do you know how Social Network famously has uh, a scene in the bar where there's 99 takes? Oh, I sure do. It's the first scene in the film. It's the first scene in the film. So apparently, on Mank, there were several shots that took over 100 takes. So it's like Fincher broke his own record. Amanda Amanda Seyfried said that there was... 200 s- takes. Yeah. Ew. A scene was shot over a week. Ouch. Um, and apparently, drunk Mank at the dinner party took over 100 takes. Uh, it was filmed on Red Digital and apparently was intentionally referential of Greg Toland. The soundtrack was, once again, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. It's, uh, in my opinion, kind of unmiraculous compared because, like, Gone Girl and Social Network, so good. And this score didn't really leave an impression, but it's an hour and a half worth of music. And the cool fact is that the first score ever to be composed were all of the orchestra members recorded from home and then sent in their I'm pieces. assuming because of the pandemic. Yeah, Parth, good assumption. Yeah. I think that's it. You want to go into Zay Reviews? Sure, Trent. Uh, Ring one as, off. As, as we know, uh, we like to give one-star reviews that we found of the film that we find a little funny. And our first one is by a man that was cr- uh, creatively named Guy Perry. Uh, uh, who is to say it's not his birth name? But the, that, there is... An, that's what like, I'm saying. There is a uh, photo in the bubble, and it looks like a stock photo if you looked up, like, white man. So... This is th- true. This could be a bot account. Guy Perry, about a month ago, wrote, Yawn. Tedious and self-involved. A big letdown. I went back and watched it to the end. The film is sluggish and self-reverential, with Mank, a boring drunk whose witticisms deflate rather than inspire. A good-looking and empty film so amazon is usually our source and we read the reviews for people who bought the blu-rays and the dvds 
but those don't exist in this case. So we're reading we're reading Rotten Tomatoes reviews, and uh, next one is by a man named John Powers. He says I've liked director David Fincher's films in the past, but this seemed an incredibly indulgent and meaningless exercise in which Fincher shows off some skills as an auteur, but has been devoured, so to speak, by his own trenchant cynicism. So the reviews this week are a little bit more meaningful. Some real, agree. some real film critics we've got here, um, and I think this is the, the that sentiment of sort of a little bit more grown up. I think it's kind of like our craft services. I think we're maturing a little, and I think our next reviewer, Kevin Webb, um, he really kept it real. He kind of embodies that spirit with his review about a month ago, where he said, "Mindhunter Three was basically canceled because of this boring ass film," and I think that just reveals so much, you know. <laughs> I don't watch Mindhunter, do you? I have seen both seasons. Is it good? It is excellent. So, is Fincher the creator, or does he just direct some of the episodes? Um, Fincher is not the creator. It's based off of a book uh, by a guy who worked in the FBI. It's about, like, the uh, creation of the, like, uh, serial killer, like, investigation stuff. Like, figuring out, like... It goes into, like, the psychosis of, like, serial killers and why they do what they do back so in the 80s when it wasn't. So is it about a bunch of wasn't. different serial killers or just one? It's it's about—it's not really about specific serial killers. It's, um, it's, it's not, like, a Seven or Zodiac type deal. It's more a diagnosis it's more, of people who kill people in general. Yeah, it's set in the 80s before there was really any knowledge of, like, mental health and shit. So Yeah, mental health— was invented by the government in the 1990s everyone knows it's that. true it's true um and fincher did the first episode i think he did a few more of season one and um basically he's the showrunner of the show and he's the second season i think he directed six of the episodes or something so part part did you know that fincher has signed a four-year exclusive deal with netflix i sure do and it's uh, hasn't been announced what his next plan is, but he said it would be based on the reception of Mank. Um, so maybe the amount of Oscar nominations that receives will determine his uh, his next move. Let's hope not. Um, do you... I mean, we'll get into this later. Uh, do you think Mank is going to qualify for, for many a, many an Academy Award? I think so. Probably, yeah. It's I think like it's, the, it's, the it's Oscar Beatty. Yeah. Yeah, Hollywood likes movies about Hollywood, believe it or yeah. not. So, Parth, uh, let's get into our film for the day. Mank? Dave yeah. Fincher's Mank? That's what sure. we're talking about? Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, initial impressions. You just watched it. Yeah, I saw it a few days ago. Um, very disappointed. <laughs> no, I saw, I saw it on TV. Um did you watch it alongside anyone or was this a solo venture speaking of <sighs> well if you must know solo oh yes a star wars story <laughs> the best star wars film right yeah well, we'll get to we'll get to that later okay 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 good. but were you alongside a certain comrade yeah well okay here's the deal i was near my very good friend sophia alexis who we've had on the show yeah uh, who was on a friend of the show who was on for another david fincher film um, Gone Girl. Yes, yes. So, uh, wow, really, all comes around. It it full you know circle. 
We're screenwriters, Trent. We, so, um, so you watched it. setups and payoffs. With... But uh-huh. yeah, I saw it. Three with... act structure. I saw it with Sophia on a TV um, in her with basement. With subtitles? With subtitles. And I what was... did you think and what did she think? We both essentially had the same opinion. Which um, was snooze alert? Trent, will you let me speak, goddammit? Jesus fucking Christ. Don't cry. Anyways, we both essentially had the same opinion, which was um, well-made, but kind of a bad script. Um, kind of messy. Doesn't really have any sense of urgency, and the characters are not very well thought out. Um, which is really disappointing, because that's kind of what fincher is best at i was just supremely supremely disappointed um it's not like an awful awful film but uh, I, I don't think mank and the word awful should be used in the same sentence but it's just like in juxtaposition to the amount that we adore the rest of his filmography it, it, yes my anticipation my expectations were so large that Yes, I I fell pretty hard, too. I I was kind of interested to see... um, I mean, I guess I can just go into production design and direction and whatnot. Because I think that's part of my problem with the movie. Is that I don't think it 100% knows what it is. Um, I think the script is very messy. Like I said before, it doesn't really have a clear sense of direction... Um, in terms of what it actually is about. There's a whole plot about socialism yeah, and the and, news. Uh, S- Sinclair Lewis and the governor race in California. And the whole time, you're like, oh, is this going to get referenced again? And it, it just comes and goes. Well, yeah, I mean, it, th- th- that's kind of not true, but in terms of... It's, like, not, it's not, like, unimportant, but it also isn't, like, a significant driving factor in the overall story of writing Citizen Kane, um, which, is, which is, I would have been fine, you know, to reference another Fincher movie, Social Network. Technically, that's a movie about the founding of Facebook, but it's not really about Facebook. It's more a story of the characters and you know, the betrayal and friendships and tragedy or whatever that ensued as a result of these two um, lawsuits. And so you can have a movie that's about something, but not really, like, about that something. So, like, I don't really care that it's not so much about the making of Citizen Kane, but I'm not really sure what the movie is about other than that. That's exactly what I was about to say. Like, the social network isn't, even about like like it is about the making of facebook but like there's so much other stuff on the periphery and mank like doesn't have anything interesting on the periphery at the end of the day you walk away and you're like he wrote citizen kane and then you know about the credit dispute yeah i think Um. outside of like the orson welles stuff which i i think is the best stuff uh, and and the marion davies stuff but i feel like well who is uh amanda seyfried she's great and Gary Oldman's great too. The performances are really good. I just yeah. think the, the like you mentioned, the script is weak, and I think that can not even that it's weak. Like there's so many like w- like witticisms. It's very fast. It has a good tempo, and there are a lot of like words per minute. 
but Fincher was probably a little bit... Uh, he didn't want to change it, probably. My issue is that it just doesn't... I don't know. It's kind of baffling. I think it really is... I think maybe Fincher was too close to the material because his dad wrote it, I guess. Mm. Um, and he said that like he originally didn't like his dad's original script because he said that he wasn't super interested in the dispute over credit. Um, what else is the movie about? But then that's my my th- thing is that it kind of is just like you kind of see Mank be drunk and an asshole. And then you see him write the movie and then he wants credit and then he gets it. So speaking of what you're saying, um, here's an excerpt from Wikipedia and it says, David Fincher says that he felt early drafts were too anti-Wells. When asked about the controversy surrounding authorship, Fincher stated that his movie does not aim to settle the issue. It was not my interest to make a movie about a posthumous credit arbitration. I was interested in making a movie about a man who agreed not to take any credit and who then changed his mind. That was what was interesting to me. I don't think that's interesting is my issue. Thank you. I was... It isn't, like, really said at the beginning that he... Like, I guess in the 30s it was kind of understood that the screenwriting credit could be bought and sold like that. Um, and, like, that's... Like, it says a lot that that's how the system was. I don't think it's as much like that anymore. But if you sign a yeah. contract that says you're going to you're gonna give credit to the director and then you, like, violate that... I mean, Mank is, like, our protagonist. But in the eyes... Of, and legally, he's in the wrong. I, I, I just think that... I think that could maybe be interesting, except the movie doesn't really give us a reason why... Beyond him realizing that it's the best thing he's ever written. Beyond that, there's not really an emotional, you know, again, not to bring this up, but I feel like the movie closest to this weirdly is The Social Network. Um, Well, I I think that and Benjamin Button are the only other, like, quote I think Benjamin Button, yeah, I think Benjamin Button is a lot more similar in terms of tone. Yes. Um, But, like, I would say that, like, I think that my problem with it is that if you look at something like The Social Network, that's a movie where it's about two lawsuits, but both of them are very emotionally charged, and there's a very specific and like clear reason. Issue. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas with this, again, it's it's very meandering. There isn't. There's no clear sense of why he's doing the things he is. You know, he kind of. There's a scene in the movie in which he bets. $24,000 on a candidate winning. The candidate loses and his and it's treated like it's going to be this huge huge thing. It's a whole sequence uh uh where like his wife is like they like everybody's super tense. He loses and his wife goes, "I have to throw up." And then that's all that's ever mentioned about it. Like it's not like a huge deal and I feel like that happens throughout the movie a lot where things happen to make like make does stuff but nothing really comes of it there's no clear cause and effect in the script where like any of the action kind of like any of the actions of the characters really like matter in terms of movement of like the plot or whatever i think this movie like just has very little momentum which is like especially compared to david fincher's other work 
I think his like the which first, is I, that's that's his like that that's his like best thing is that he's really the, good at leading scene. you through a plot. Or, or that like I think he's good at making exciting openings. Yeah. Um, or at least in like his best movies, and this one it starts slow and it kind of continues. In terms of other uh, subplots that didn't go anywhere, do you know the director of the propaganda film who kills himself? And then yeah. he's, ne- he's never heard from again. Um, also, I don't know if the real Mank and uh, William Randolph Hearst's wife in real life were like, I don't know. like Buddy, buddy. Platonically engaged. So there's no romantic element between Mank and Amanda Seyfried, but also Mank is, like, very negligent to his own wife, and it doesn't... I don't know. I I read a review that said this movie is arguing for Herman Mankiewicz to be important enough to... Warrant his own movie. To warrant his own movie, and that is the movie's, like, like, greatest weakness. Yeah, no, I kind of completely agree it's um it's also the script is told out of order i guess in reference to how um citizen kane is out of order but i don't think yeah. it really works I, don't... I, I like all the transitions it like shows it'll be like interior yeah like house nighttime and it does that because oh it's a movie about a screenwriter so we're gonna show you this small sliver of the process which i didn't mind and it's a good way to like show you the year on the screen so then you're not confused about the jumping around chronologically. Yeah, I just think I... that the it's not that I was ever really confused about the timelines. I just don't think it ever added anything to have it jump around in time beyond we see him uh when he's like kind of bedridden versus when he was walking and talking. It, it kind of jumps around haphazardly. There's not really any sense of rhythm. Yeah, or, or like, n- there's no purpose from scene to scene. Yeah, like, the, the final, like, the climactic dialogue scene at the end, it cuts back and forth between these two scenes where there's a drunken mank and there's, I think, uh, Orson Welles and him are talking or something like that. And it is really weird. It, it kind of ruins the momentum of both scenes. I think the only, like, what are the most memorable scenes from the movie? Like, him walking with Amanda Seyfried through the courtyard. That's, like, gotten a lot of press as being a long take. Uh, like, a long take. Um, and then there's, like, the dinner party, him monologuing. And then, what, like, the, the very ending where it's, uh, like, the Oscar acceptance speeches and they play the real clip from Orson Welles. I thought those... Yeah were, like, my only real takeaways. And I wanted to compliment the opening text and, like, the end text, which, like, Fincher did that. Well, he did end text with Zodiac, too. But I, I think it works in this case. Uh, to bring up Fincher, I guess, um, I also think, and I, I feel like this might be a little bit more controversial, controversial, I don't know how much the aesthetics of the film really improved it, um, I never got a sense. The, the, Fincher likes to shoot on digital because it allows him to shoot more takes, shit ton of more takes, and, and it's he less could expensive. Then, um, eh, not really. Well, I know. I, I just meant like 
if you do a hundred takes on film, yeah, yeah. the film costs a lot more money than the data on the on the SD card. Yeah, and then also in post, it provides him with a lot more options. Um, Has he ever shot on film? Yeah, I mean, uh, the first film to ever be shot on digital was Star Wars Episode Two. Um, oh so my! Alien Three, Seven, and the Game are all. I can't believe um, Star Wars Attack of the Clones was the first digital film. Like, yeah. what a what a landmark for such a bad movie. Yeah, um, but that's you gotta love George Lucas. The man takes big swings. Um, but anyways, I I think so. So this movie was shot on digital, and I don't have a problem with digital generally, but here where he's trying to make it like evoke the look and feel of Citizen Kane it's too clean and he tries to like put on i think like film grain and there's all sorts of like um artifacts like you can see the like uh on film where like they the would cigarette like cigarette burns yeah yeah my, but, my mom but they all feel artificial they like feel artificial and that's my issue is that it's the the audio is recorded um, so that in like I think they recorded it in a movie theater so that it's had that more echoey sound that older movies of the time had and but the problem I have is it's shot in the aspect ratio of a modern movie and everything's too clear it's too crisp um, and and so then it kind of works backwards against it I think um, my mom made a comment about the audio mix and about how even when they're outside the dialogue sounds like they're inside and i was like that's yeah. a good that's a good catch and because he tried to do like more old-timey like sound mixing when your modern audience watches it it's just going to sound off i i agree with your mom it it, it kind of i don't know it's this weird thing where it it does specific things but it isn't it doesn't go all the way. I would be fine with it just being black and white and not trying to pretend like it is... Because f- I think I saw somewhere that David Fincher wanted it to look like they were of the same uh, time period. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, I, make, he, he was making a, a golden Hollywood 30s movie. And he wanted that, to... That's what he set out to do. He also wanted to make it so that like, if you had a two-parter of Citizen Kane and then Mank it would make sense. But I, it kind of just doesn't. And I don't know if it's because I intellectually know that this was shot in real time or if I really can tell that, like, it just looks too crisp. It just looks too clean. And all of the artifacts that he puts on in post look like they've been put on in post. And then it it kind of makes me not buy it. It, it kind of, like, works against it, and it makes me annoyed. So... The performances. What'd you think? There were actors in this movie. Am I wrong? Uh, no, you're not wrong. For once, Trent. Um, so, no. uh, there's, you know, Gary Oldman as the title Mank. There's Amanda Seyfried as uh, Marion Davies. And then the only third actress name I recognized was uh, Lily Collins. And she plays... Mank's secretary and it's funny that she's only coming up now because i think that says a lot about her role in the movie because it's uh it's meaningless and there's 
a subplot about this secretary's husband who's off at war and a lot of drama comes from letters she's receiving about how he's missing in action. But then, don't worry. At the end, it's mentioned he's okay. Um, that part, and I, I wasn't into. I agree, and it's... I think, uh, to, add, to answer your question, I mean, I think everybody's fine. Everybody acts well. I mean, it, I feel like I'm really harping on the movie. It's a very well-made movie. You know, it's excellently shot. It's It's, you know... The editing is really good. The performances are all good. Yeah. But uh, it's the, all in the, service of kind of nothing. Yeah, the next conversation we're about to have is all the Oscars that this movie will likely be nominated for. So, um do we wanna get on to it? Yeah, sure. I'm anticipating or at least these are the ones I consider possible. Best actor, best actress, best screenplay, uh posthumous nominations are are uh all the are, rage are yeah exactly uh best original score just because uh atticus and, and atticus that they, they kind of get nominated each time around uh film editing i could see and production design i could see i'm gonna agree with all of those and just add costume design i was considering costume design also um and then did I was you say like, cinematography I did not, and I didn't see this movie getting nominated for cinematography. Really? I, I was going to say that I do, um, because I think it, you know, for all my problems with the choices they make, I think it's it's a well-shot movie. So, do we want to get on to rating it? I think so. I think it's our and, time. And then afterwards, we'll be ranking... All 10 slash 11 of Fincher's films. So my rating for Mank, it's either a 4 or a 5 out of 10. I, I Well, you, you got to pick one. Or it can be a 4.5. Yeah, I'll I, give it a 4.5 out of 10. Ouch. Yeah, no, I gave it a 2.5 out of 5 in Letterboxd because a 2 seemed a little low. So that's the lowest ranking we've given out on the show yet. And uh, yeah. th- this definitely isn't the worst movie that we've talked about. But I think it's the expectation versus reality. I just don't, like, I don't see myself watching this ever again. Like, I don't ever want to, really. Like, I was just so bored the entire way through. I'm going to give it a six. Hmm. That's um, fair. Like, I've w- liked it more each time I've watched it, and you've only watched it once. So I think that could have something to do with it. So we both have our lists, and we're going to go as we did with our um, most anticipated and stuff. We're going to each give our number 10, then our number 9, then our number 8. So are we not counting Alien 3 just for the sake of consistency? So yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen Alien 10? 3. I, yeah, I haven't seen Alien 3. I have no intention to. It's barely David Fincher's film, so... For the sake of consistency, let's go. Number 10. Should I go first? Please. At number 10, we have today's feature film, Mank. Wow. I think saying that this is his worst movie to date is kind of a stretch. I, 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 none of his other movies have, like, bored me the same way. And I don't think any of them have the same, like, 
like genuine like structural issues i'm actually doing some swapping on my list as we speak last minute swapping oh my god so my number 10 is going to be panic room because i think it is the least interesting premise that he has ever pursued really listen to all that alliteration interesting i mean we'll we'll talk more what's your number nine why don't you do your number nine? Why don't we alternate? Sure, sure. It's like a snake. Um, well, let, let me say more about Panic Room. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It just didn't do anything for me. But you liked it a lot more than I did. But I I'm did. sure. Um, okay, number nine, I put The Game. Um, Twins! Mo- nice. So I didn't necessarily... I liked this about as much as I liked Panic Room. And the differentiation was that I thought that the game had more of an interesting plot or like that the the third act of the game is what is what it's all about and the and panic room doesn't have a twist so to speak like yeah so so number yeah so what's your number eight then or yeah i mean just to speak uh, for a little bit about the game i think it's um it's well made and the third act actually kind of ruins it for me Wow, that's um Yeah, I mean I don't want to give anything away. Um I just think that it's a little too cute and I don't think David Fincher was the right person to direct the movie. Uh, I think you needed somebody with a much lighter touch. Who's the lead in the game? What's his name? Michael Douglas. Yeah, I'm not a big Michael Douglas guy. I like him. I think he does well in the movie. I just think that it's too dark of a movie or too serious of a movie for what its premise ends up actually being i I like sean penn um in the movie as do i i was reading a fincher ranking list because i wanted to see what the what the understood standing was and this person put the game at like number three and they were like the game is a huge joke, and if you don't get it, and then you're going to think it's terrible. If you get the joke that is the game, and then it's some of David Fincher's finest work. So I guess we were standing on the outside. We didn't get it. Number eight. Okay, so my number eight. A curious Case of Benjamin Button. Yes, me also. Oh my god. Yes nice good stuff. Uh, i just i think it's well made i think i really really liked it when i first saw it and now i kind of am like whatever about it really well made really good performances it's kind of sweet um fine so i rewatched benjamin button the other day um and i do you know how it's told like from the perspective of the woman in the hospital yeah. as hurricane katrina is coming to like clap their cheeks um good words (laughs) yeah so i think that that's kind of weak and that's kind of like the titanic where you're just like snooze old lady talking we get it you were once the young female um you were once kate winslet no uh, or kate blanchett in this case who kate blanchett um i'm usually i'm divided on but in this movie i liked her um brad pitt is great did you know my dad has met brad pitt oh mg was he how was it 
He shook his hand. Oh my gosh, you're famous. I was there, but um, we were, I mean, I won't get into it. But yeah, that's my dad's claim to fame. Um, Yeah, Brad Pitt was great. So what I wanted to say about Benjamin Button is that no movie can have a character that ages backwards anymore. Like, Benjamin Button has reserved that. And whenever there's any mention of someone aging backwards, Benjamin Button is the first thing on people's minds. So it's really left a cultural impact just in terms of, like, conceptually. And so for that reason, I think it's somewhat important. Even though, like, it's kind of patented, like, a a narrative device in the same way that every time travel movie is going to be referential of Back to the Future. Or is going to be ripping something off from Back to the Future. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get you. I get you. Number seven. That's you, right? Oh, my number seven. Uh, this was due to a last minute switch, but seven is Mank. Okay. Uh, um, no need for further comment. This is interesting. My number seven is Panic Room. So we, ah. yep. we swapped those. So um, what, what did it for you in Panic Room? I think it's a really smart script. Um, I think... I, I think my problem with, like, the game and Mank is that it has kind of a identity crisis of, like, not knowing exactly what story it's trying to tell. Um, and so then that becomes a problem with, like, tone and character. And Panic Room is pretty simple, um, but it knows it's simple. And it just does it really effectively. Um, I'm, I, I, was, I, th- I just think it's really well made. And it's like a it's a solid like suspense thriller film. Um, my only issue with it is that this is kind of the last Fincher movie to use really like elaborate CG shots, um, where like it's really stylistically done, because um, he kind of gets a little bit more omniscient after this. And I think those shots don't really work in this movie uh, for me. But other than that, like I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's not the deepest of his movies but i think that's kind of why it works for me i have to admit i uh fell asleep and missed the middle hour of panic room so by the time i woke up i think jared leto was dead and someone's uh, arm was trapped in the door and there was a panic room so i didn't take that much away from the movie i think i got the first and last 20 minutes um you're missing out on a lot of good suspense, Trent. So my number six. Trent, I have to say number six, actually. Parth's number six. Wow. You're just trying to take away my spotlight, aren't you? Um, my number six is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mine also. So I think the crime element in this movie is weak. Like, the investigation feels pretty far away from but i don't know this movie is you got daniel craig he's like a detective and then you got rooney mara and then the, you have their separate storylines and then halfway through they converge but the whole movie is based around daniel craig solving this like old murder case and that just feels like what the movie isn't about and i think david fincher who's an expert at crime doesn't do this crime novel justice i think i probably think a little bit more of it than you do 
Um, but I agree it's not the most compelling of his movies. Um, but I think it's it's really, really excellently made. Um, oh, and, yeah. Like, like, just, like, perfect on it. I mean, most... Uh, you, you'd be really hard-pressed to find a technical issue with a David Fincher movie. But um, I just think that, like, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is kind of, like, a trashy book. Like, not in a, like, a, like, it's a bad book, but just, like, it's not really a serious book. It's kind of, like, a page-turner whatever book. And I think there's a good, there's a great movie in here, but instead, it there's just, the movie is just a really, really, like, greatly made good movie. I, I, I think another problem with, um, with Dragon Tattoo is that it, like, loosely incorporates too many aspects of the book without thoroughly delving into them. Like I agree. At the beginning, you find out that Daniel Craig, Craig's character, like, gets in some legal trouble because of some libel, and that's, like, a driving force throughout the movie, and you don't even really know what it's about. Um, I don't know. I think the performances are good. Um, I just think it's a little bit diluted, even though it one of his longer movies perhaps i think it's nearing three hours but yeah, I think it's, it's, ben- it's, I, I, it's two and a half hours i think ben- benjamin buttons his longest okay trent your your number five my number five is gone girl my number five is gone girl trent so we had a whole episode on this um wow. in which both of us partly for political reasons kind of refrained from giving just affection towards Gone Girl. But we both really like this movie. Well, I'm glad you spoke for me, Trent. Um, <laughs> I I have a complicated relationship with the film. In terms of the writing, it's really excellently like crafted um, in terms of its twists and its turns and everything. Um, I think that's compliments to, to, to Jillian and Flynn. Flynn. Yeah. Um, but... I think there's a legitimate case to be made about how certain messaging is harmful. And I can't really look past that once it's been pointed out to me. Um, Cause it's just kind of uncomfortable to watch at the same time. I also don't want to overlook that it brings up a lot of interesting issues with like male and female relationships and, you know things like that that were never really explored in such a way i mean the cool girl monologue is the biggest example of that where like people took that and ran with it but like i think it's a it's a very interesting film to dissect and it was it's a very interesting film to look at it as a piece of like pop culture i absolutely adore one of my guilty pleasures is the gone girl director's commentary um David Fincher talking about Ben Affleck refusing to wear a Yankees cap and having to take off several days of shooting for them to discuss the issue. It's very funny. Is a little. It's one of his less tight movies, but if I, I like it so much. All right, what's your number four? My number four 
is going to be Fight Club. Mine also. Oh my god. Yes. I swear to god, we did not make this list together. We're peas in a pod, Parth. Yeah. Other than Mank and Panic Room, everything has been in the same place. And I have a feeling the rest will be too, based on my knowledge of your taste. Yeah. But yeah, anyways. I, I believe that to be true also. Fight Club. The screenplays of David Fincher's different films. They've come from a variety of sources. Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl and Fight Club and Social Network partly and partly Zodiac are based on books and Zodiac, Social Network uh, and Mank are the only true stories and then I guess the rest of them are, you know, just good old works of fiction. But do you want to see the graph I was referring to? Sure. So I put his films in chronological order on a Cartesian plane, and then I went from left to right and charted, like, chronologically, like, where it falls on the ranking over time. And it's crazy how most of the time it goes... Well, I mean, let's just go through. There's Alien 3, and then there's 7, and then there's Panic Room the Game. Oh, no, I, I missed Fight Club in 1999. And then you got Panic Room. Um, then Zodiac, Benjamin Button, Social Network, Gone Girl, Mank. And the crazy part is that it pretty much alternates going from very high on the list to very low on the list. That's the graph. I mean, Interesting. no visual component, but thought I should put into words. Um, oh, but as we were saying about Fight Club, it's written by a book, a very good book by Chuck Palahniuk. Um, I think this movie, in the same way that Gone Girl, can have a bad take-home message, but it's all about how you read it. And... Um, I think Edward Norton's great, Brad Pitt's great, uh, Helen Bonham Carter's great. It's a good story, and in the same cultural impact way as Benjamin Button, uh, the first rule of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club. And also, it's one As of, is the second rule. Yes, and it's in the lineup of 1999, um, you know, perhaps the best movie year ever, and... Uh, I think it's awesome, and it's a super easy watch. I agree. I really, really like uh, Fight Club. I think it's a perfect matching of material and director. Um, for some reason, it was read horribly wrong by a, a, lots of guys. But um, For people who to, I idolized... Uh, to the people that really like Tyler Durden, yeah. you're bad people, and the movie is laughing at you indeed um but anyways enough about fight club trent oh and i just want to say for me from fight club onwards all of the movies are five out of fives for me um, or 10 out of 10s for me for i would, me i would even give oh no i know what you're gonna say well i was gonna say i would even give fight club a 10 out of 10 oh no that's what i meant i i would give all of the movies on uh, this. What were you fearing me saying? Giving you're Gone give, Girl? Yeah, you're going to give that a 10. No, no, no. no. That, that's a stretch. All right, what's your number three? 
You're you're number three first. Seven. So is mine. Okay. Um, I read a review the other day that I didn't necessarily agree with, saying that seven is only memorable because of the third act, and I disagree hardly. Because the third act only works because of all the other preceding two or two acts, and being able to like watch. I mean, you know, there's going to be seven killings, and you get to watch the the first. I mean, spoiler alert! You get to watch the first five play out, and then you're like, well, there's going to be two more, and then the third act culminates, and it's awesome. Um, Too bad Kevin Spacey loves touching boys because he was a good he, he was a good actor. This used to be my number one for a while. Um, it's changed, but that's not a knock on the movie. It's a perfect film. I love it. Um, What's your uh, your your favorite of the killings? Minus the I mean stuff the ending, at, I guess. Well, I mean minus the stuff at the end. Were you, uh, are you a fat guy spaghetti? Are you a prost? Or are you a, are you an uh, a knife penis? Or no, you know I'm gonna go with sloth. Um, is that the the guy that's chained to the bed? Yeah, he's still alive. Yeah. Um, um. Wait, what are the other? Oh, then there's the lawyer who's greed. I think. Yeah. Um. Who's the? Oh, oh, the there's, model. There. It, yeah. It cuts off her nose. Spider face. Okay. So my number two. Yes. Yes. Or your number two. My number two is Social Network. Oh no! We ruined it. So this is the final swap. Oh, so yeah. I th- I thought you knew how affectionate of Zodiac I was. So I thought that was your inkling of your mm. of your knowledge. Um, uh, no, I knew, but I didn't know it would over. I didn't know you would overtake it. For for what it's worth, my D- my DVD copy of Social Network from Blockbuster with the cast and commentary directory. It's like com- com- cast and comp. Fuck, director and cast commentary is like one of my prized possessions. So I love this movie. Um, I love that it's on Netflix. I watch it, like, once every two weeks. It's probably up on the list for my most rewatches somewhere in the ballpark, like, 30 times. Why don't you ju- why don't you talk about Zodiac 2 now, now that we know that it's oh. just flip-flop for me? Um, Zodiac, uh, it's probably my favorite movie right now, so... Wow, of all time. I think so. Um, I watch it, like, once a week. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal is also, like, my favorite actor, so that has something to do with it. Yeah, I have I have Zodiac for number two and Social Network for number one. Um, it's nice that we have variety, you know? Yeah, if the yeah, however minute. If the co-hosts are too similar, we're going to lose our audience. We're diversifying our assets here. I think, um, I don't know if it's because it's too personal to me, um... But I just have to have the social network at number one. Because you um, invented Facebook? Yes, yeah. Um, but I think for me what it is, is I think David Fincher is frustrating to me because he is one of the best directors working ever. Um, but I think he chooses lots of scripts that are not at his level. Like, Which scripts pretty... do you think aren't at his level? 
the game, Mank. Um, let me go through his photography. The game, Mank, Benjamin Button, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, honestly, even Panic Room are not at his level. Yeah. I think Gone Girl is also not at his level. I think Gone Girl is like fun, but I think Dave Fincher elevates an okay script. Um, I think he's so, 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 so good. And I think what Zodiac and Social Network both do is assign a script that's as methodical and meticulous as he is. Mm. And and it gives him, it kind of pushes him too. And I think for me, Social Network is the slightly better script for me. Um, because Sorkin's my favorite writer. Yeah, and and also Social Network is aging like a fine wine compared to, to Zodiac in which there's been no... I mean, there actually has been an update in the Zodiac case. The uh, other day, uh, I read an article that one of the ciphers had just been broken for the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. saw that? Yeah, I did. And of all of the ciphers that were sent, only three of them have been solved. One by a married couple, one by Robert Graysmith, who's Jake Gyllenhaal, and also wrote the Zodiac book, which the movie's based on, and was like involved in the creation. And then this new one, which some like, uh, like cryptologists of, uh, the, of of the world solved. I just think they're so like intricately made, you know, like like written. They're just so good at the on the writing level. To, to me, it feels like on those two, it was like the quintessence of Fincher being in complete and total control. Yeah, and especially like in terms of takes, like Social Network and Zodiac is where you hear most of, like, the war stories of, like, the the, the, the thoroughness of, yeah. the, of the filming process. And uh, uh, Zodiac, I think, was his longest shooting schedule. I think it was, like, over 100 days. I would buy that. Unless Benjamin Button was more. But I feel like that was a lot of CGI. But who knows? Uh, well, uh, yeah, and I think... The only thing I want to add is I think the only reason Social Network is above it for me is because it's Fincher not doing crime, and it's that good. And I think that's where, like, Fincher is kind of, like, reaching out beyond his comfort zone. And then after that, he immediately stepped right back in with Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and I think that's a step backwards for him. Um, But, yeah, I I just think that... uh, But Social Network, like moves like a crime movie though like i know it's no it does it does i just mean like this this it's not it doesn't have the subject matter to fall back on yeah because thing like gone girl well, it, al- it also doesn't have the inherent entertainment value coming out of people getting murdered exactly and th- there's there's not this inherent visual component to it it is mostly people talking in boardrooms so and it makes it very interesting i I hear your argument for social network over zodiac in terms of like originality like i know it's like based on a true story but there are much less movies about like tech mogul startups and the legal conflicts that ensue than there are about serial killers and i think that zodiac is, like, the best newspaper movie and the best serial killer movie, but Social Network is kind of in its own league. Category. Yeah. And, I mean, Quentin Tarantino thinks it's the best movie of the 2010s, and... uh, Who am I to fight 
with Quentin Tarantino. Exactly. Um, so I think that's that. That's that. Indeed. Um, our next episode is what, with who, and why? Well, Trent, it's Doug Lyman's Lockdown. We had its unit production manager, Ella Dane Smith, come talk with us. She was what, great. What a great, what a good, wonderful interview. It was. Uh, <laughs> so join us. Next week. Uh, next week. On our show. Craft. Craft Services. Craft Services. The podcast. Our show. 